Hello and welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast. As a church, it's our hope that the proclamation of God's Word on Sundays would turn into the application of God's Word in our daily lives, leading to the transformation of people in our local communities. To that end, we pray that this podcast would serve to further equip you with more insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week. First, as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go to make disciples. Thank you for joining us here today, and let's get started as we dive into this week's discussion. All right, well, hey, leaders, and welcome back to the podcast. It is week three of our spring 2020 season, and I am joined with Doug Becker, our pastor of theology. What's up, Doug? In the house. <laughs> house. What's up, brother? Uh, nothing much. How's it Quarant- going with you? It's going pretty well. Getting through the quarantine, nice break in the weather, and uh, a little bit of a lift of the quarantine to allow us to get out to the park and the beach this weekend. So that was really nice. Yeah. Alex had a five-year anniversary. Yeah, Alex baby. and Kristen. What a coincidence. Yeah, both of us. Who, who would yeah. have thought that we actually have a five-year <laughs> anniversary at the same time? <laughs> My wife and I. But uh, that was awesome just to be able to get outside for a little while. So uh, weather's nice today too. So that's pretty exciting. We have got an awesome new series. I'm pretty excited that we're jumping into Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is probably one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. And Doug, before we really dive into our guide for our leaders this week, uh, let's talk a little bit about just how we go about studying Proverbs. You know, in the sermon, Ryan mentioned a little bit about how Proverbs is general wisdom, right? And it's not necessarily specific promises. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more, Doug, for our leaders? Um. Yeah, so we're talking about some of the genre considerations, you mean? Yeah, just a little bit. If you know, if we go to sit down and study Proverbs, um, how should we kind of go about, you know, you know, taking a look at the text? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking too, so Doug, you and I are actually going to start putting together a mini-series on how to study mm-hmm. the Bible. And so some of these genre questions as we look at Scripture will, will come up then as well as we begin that uh, this Thursday. But at least for our leaders, as we kind of open up a new book and a new series you know, how should we really go about looking at Proverbs? How should we interpret it as we study through it together? Yeah. um, So I think there's a couple things that you want to consider that are just usually like your general advice. Um, So uh, for the one thing that is, uh, that is always, uh, always helpful to say when you're jumping into the book of Proverbs is that um, Proverbs tend to be, a proverb, a biblical proverb is a wise insight that matters to someone who fears the Lord. Uh, so this can take the form of both short sayings, aphorisms, like what we would typically consider a proverb. Um, an, aphorism, early bird, an aphorism, it's just a short saying. The early bird gets the worm, oh. that kind of thing, you know, uh, like a short, memorable, pithy saying. Um and uh, but it could also biblically could also be long admonitions. So you go to chapter seven and you see the thing with the the adulteress with the smooth tongue and everything, and uh, that too is a proverb. So it doesn't just need to be these short little sayings. But mm-hmm. it's it's wise insight that matters to someone who fears the Lord is kind of how, how how I would um, how I would summarize it. But and that's the thing is that they, these are wise insights. These are things where if you if you learn the principles taught in Proverbs, it, it will help you to live in God's world. Um, and, uh, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Proverbs are commands. And that's the basic thing that usually needs to be said when we take about this, the task of, set about the task of studying Proverbs. That doesn't mean they can't be commands, but you kind of have to, you, you, 
you have to chew them for a while. You have to think of them, think about them for a little while. Uh, one of my requires favorite, some discernment a little bit. Exactly. Um, I was actually talking to someone in in uh, the group that um, I study. Um, uh, I'm reading through the Bible um, uh, with right now, and um, you know, there's a proverb uh, in Proverbs 26 um, where it says uh, in verse uh, where is it? <clears throat> oh, I forget where the word proverb is. I can never remember references for things. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, I know where it is. It's in 20 chapter 22. So in chapter 22, for example, uh, this is, this is some, something that someone was asking me. So the rich rules over the poor, this is 22 verse seven. Sure. And the borrower is a slave of the lender. Dave his favorite verse. Yeah. And so this is a, this is a, uh, a, a wise thing to keep in mind. But some people have transformed this into evidence that it is unbiblical or even sinful to take out debt for Christians to have any kind of debt. Mm. So saying it's wise to not be in debt is different than saying it's a sin to be in debt. Right. Or and it's law. It's law. In fact, as you've explained to me, there are even wise ways to leverage debt. Right. Like there's there are. But in general, whatever you do, if it involves debt, you need to do so realizing that you are, quote unquote, enslaved to the person who's lent you. Right. It, that right. It's, so it's it's wise to know that. And if you're going to. Uh, so it, this this verse doesn't comment on whether or not it's morally wrong. And then right next to it, you have another great example where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So not only are these not laws, but they're also not, they're also not absolute promises all the time. Mm. Again, that doesn't mean that they're never absolute promises, but you need to chew on it and think about whether it is. And in, as a matter of fact, there are many godly parents out there who did who have done quite a good job raising their children, whose children nevertheless go astray. Mm. But in general, you want to train up a child in the way you should go because your general expect it is reasonable to expect then that your child will be better off because of that. Mm. And that's that's the idea that th- those are some things that you kind of want to be careful of there. That's helpful, Doug. So I, I guess to kind of summarize, you know, as we dive here into Proverbs, it, it's worth kind of saying the way that perhaps we should look at this is that these are, in general, wise ways of going about life, and they require discernment in how to apply them to specific situations. Is that right. fair? Okay. Uh, yes, exactly. And, and so that's an interesting thing about wisdom, is wisdom itself, you could say, is an interpretive tool for interpreting Proverbs. Mm-hmm. Is it wisdom itself. So it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom when to know, hey, I should answer a fool according to his folly, or to say, hey, I shouldn't. Uh, my, one of my favorite proverbs, and you wouldn't know it from from listening to uh, any of our talks here, Alex, is uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. <laughs> right? So, so, but that doesn't mean you should never talk. That's, that's why I let you do all the talking there, Doug. It's just you need you need to know what exactly you need to know when to wisely uh, when when to wisely apply a proverb and when not to. So sure. those are a couple of things that I think are helpful in setting out. Awesome. Thanks, Doug. So let's take a look at our discussion guide for this week. Um, pretty basic, pre- well, pretty straightforward. I mean, we've got a couple sections here talking about wisdom and really the focus in on, on this week is really 
you know, what is wisdom? What does it look like? How do, how do we obtain wisdom? And, uh, and what, what is the ultimate purpose of wisdom, so to speak? And so in our first section here titled, What Wisdom Looks Like, we'll jump into Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7, which is basically the introduction that we have into Proverbs. And it culminates kind of in, in verse 7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so this week, Ryan really began the sermon by calling to mind, uh, you know, that stereotypical kind of like wise sage, right? Uh, we've got the reclusive old man with a beard lying on top of a mountain with some kind of like secret wisdom or whatever that is. He's going to train look- the bride in Kill Bill. What'd you say? He's going to train the bride in, in Kill Bill. <laughs> Galindo cow. Be careful of the uh, fish heads, man. <laughs> fish head soup's a bad thing. Uh, there goes one. There's movie quote number one of the season. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we have this image of kind of like the wise sage. But then the book of Proverbs, you know, Ryan's kind of arguing for us. It, it gives us a much different picture of what wisdom looks like. And, it, and it's kind of the opposite, right? True wisdom, as Ryan said, is dusty meaning that it's, it's really very, it, it's shown in kind of the work of our hands. It's shown in the practical outworking of our lives, right? And so let's, a couple questions here for us. Number one, in your own words, how would you describe what it means to be wise and what does wisdom look like today? So a simple question, just to kind of get discussion started, what is wisdom uh, and how do we kind of view that in our culture today? Question number two, give an example of a wise person whom God has placed in your life and why would you can consider them wise? Number three, name an area of your own life that you feel that you could actually grow in wisdom. Number four, the opposite of wisdom, as we learned, is foolishness. And when was a time where the fruit of your own foolishness was kind of evident to you uh, or others in your life? So just a couple, you know, four quick questions to kind of get us talking about wisdom. What is it? You know, how have you interacted? Where have you seen, you know, wise dealings in your own life and and so on and so forth? And Um, then go ahead, Doug. Can I add something in there? Uh, Yeah, please. Just going to sneak it in there. So um, when, when we're in this section, when we're defining wisdom, an important thing uh, that I think we should uh, point out, <coughs> sorry. So um, I know in my mind, at least, I can sometimes limit what I think of as wisdom to right thinking. A wise person is able to discern what is right and to know the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Biblical wisdom goes further than that right. in that a wise person is one who actually practices wisdom. Hmm. So a good example would be the uh, um, Proverbs 6, where he introduces you. They have all these colorful characters, especially in the opening chapters of Proverbs. Hmm. And here you get introduced to the ant and the sluggard. <laughs> Right, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in heart in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? So a wise person is not only someone who's able to say, Yeah, that's sluggardly, but who is somebody who's actually more like the ant in how they live out their life. So wisdom is not simply a mental thing in Proverbs. In fact, it's a mark of foolishness for it to be only a mental thing. Right. That's a great point too, Doug. You know, I think one of the reasons why I I put this question in here is because if we can establish like very on in the, you know, early on in the conversation that wisdom does not come from ourselves, right? Like if you take a look at our own society and what's wise in one person's eyes versus what's wise in another's eyes, you know, there is no corporate understanding of what wisdom is. We have a, we have a light understanding of the definition that it's something smart or knowledgeable or, you know, um, good to do those things that are wise. 
But hopefully, you know, the conversation kind of land at the point where wisdom is outside of us, right? I.e. God and God's word. And that's where we go to, you know. And so verse seven here in chapter one kind of ends with it. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. uh, The ESV reads fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so it's like it's giving us a definition here that, you know, fearing the Lord is the beginning of this. And it's actually fools that despise these things that will come in the rest of the book. Now, Doug, you pointed out something else, you know, the sluggard, right? There's a lot of really cool things that pop up in Proverbs, like these little mini caricatures of the ant of the sluggard. And one of those that you mentioned in this next section here uh, of, our, of our guide called Obtaining Wisdom is the simple person or really the youth, as it's often called in Proverbs. And so this is the one who's often in danger of becoming a fool and must obtain wisdom in order to experience blessing in this life. And so this week, we actually learned that nobody starts out wise in this life, right? Rather, we gain wisdom by realizing uh, four things that Ryan pointed out in the sermon. Number one, that uh, first of all, we need wisdom. Uh, Number two, that wisdom is actually passed on. Number three, that wisdom comes through listening. And number four, wisdom requires understanding. So we'll jump here into this next section, Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 33. And in this passage, we get just kind of another caricature here, Doug. We have the the personification of wisdom as a woman calling out in the streets to warn and admonish the simple, right? Doug's words here. I love love the way that you write, Doug. (laughs) Unfortunately, many of us take issue with being called simple. And even though we're already being foolish, uh, or even though we are already being foolish, if we resent being addressed this way. So Doug, you want to comment on this a little bit? We have these caricatures. Now we've got, you know, we, we have the caricature of the simple or the youth who needs to obtain wisdom. And then we have the caricature of wisdom uh, or herself, uh, you know, being personified as a woman in the streets calling everybody uh, to herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of helpful. Uh, I, one of the things that I'm trying to, brainstorm uh, the kinds of things we're going to be talking about in our Theology Thursday on studying the Bible. And one thing that I think is indispensable is to have some kind of note-taking tool. Mm. And so, like, whether it be a notebook or your computer, um, but, uh, but you want to, uh, but, but a good idea is to, is to kind of note when these characters come up and like, what is the overlap? What is, what is it teaching just by wording it a certain way? Mm. Um, and so I, I really like how you say that that um, that uh, lady wisdom. You know, you have lady wisdom and lady folly, and lady wisdom is this is this personification of the advice that the father is given to his son. And it, it was interesting. Ryan pointed this out. He's personifying. Uh, wisdom as a woman. And Ryan suggested that this might actually be intentional, you know, just to grab his son's attention in, yeah. uh, in some ways, which I thought was kind of cool. I never, I never it, really heard that before. You know, what's an interesting thing as well. So um, in chapter seven, which I've mentioned already, which is like every person who struggles with lust should memorize Proverbs seven. Mm. It's, it's masterful and super, super convicting. Um but uh, Proverbs chapter seven, um, uh, it says, it says this. It says uh, in chapter six, it says, "For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple." There's the simple, right? So there's a simple guy. I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. 
in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And, you know, if you read on, you see he follows this adulterous woman who calls her into his home. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, and, and this, this seems like a pretty good situation. And, uh, and then he ends up being destroyed by the end of it because of her. And there's a very um, somewhat literal way in which that works, because as I said, this is a very, this very much is about, uh, you know, uh, being faithful physically. Uh, But it's also about it. You also, there's also dimension to it where this is late. The adulteress is lady folly. And here's the simple one. And he's allured by folly's enticements of short-term game and uh, is willing to go along with it and um, and winds up being destroyed. So there's almost like two levels on which this thing, this thing, um, this, this whole scenario works. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I think that's interesting again, to, to keep in mind that we're all, we all play different roles and different characters. And this whole admonition in chapter seven is addressed once again, like a lot of these other early proverbs to my son keep my commandments and live, keep my teaching as the apple of the, your eye, bind them on your fingers, say to wisdom, you're my sister and insight, you're my intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who is, as I said, also not only a literal adulteress, but also is, is lady folly whom mm. we have to avo- uh, avoid as well. Um, that's helpful, Doug. I, I never thought of it in that way either. That's, that's really cool. Um, helpful as we kind of move through Proverbs and interpret these things and, and kind of look at some of these caricatures. So uh, a couple questions here for us. Number five, uh, in your own words, how would you define what it means to be foolish? Uh, and the second part of that is really how do we establish a definition for foolishness? You know, when we live in a world where everyone's kind of right in their own eyes, right? And, you know, I alluded to this earlier, this will probably be a larger conversation, you know, but where do we find wisdom? And then again, where do we find foolishness, right? So uh, next, we'll jump into Proverbs 2, uh, verses 1 through 8 here. And then specifically in this passage, you know, how would you describe the way in which wisdom is actually passed on and what is the chain of transmission? So uh, Ryan was talking about this uh, in, in the sermon, actually, that, you know, no, um, the four points he said, we need wisdom. Wisdom is passed on, right? His second point that it moves on. Um, Doug, how would you answer this? You know, what, what really is the chain of transmission for wisdom? Yeah, so, um, well, obviously, the, the, the father is involved in this. And uh, I will note that, <laughs> uh, first off, a lot of biblical stuff is voiced in the male voice. I think I've talked about this before. So there's nothing like mothers can instruct it. And interestingly, um, uh, right in chapter one and verse eight, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Mm. So they're kind of, you know, they're both there. Mm. Um, but so you could say the, the wise parent is clearly there. But then if you, if you go, if you go on, there is a, um, an effort that needs to be put to acquiring wisdom. So I would say there's the admonition of the parent, and then there's the effort of the simple person looking to become wise in actually seeking out wisdom, Mm. um, calling out for insight, raising voice for understanding, seeking it like silver as for a hidden treasure. And then what do you find? You find the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. 
So there is the idea that the Lord is the source of wisdom, and we get it by listening to those who have gone before us and who have experience, and we get it from listening, uh, from, from, from seeking it diligently. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's, there's a bunch of things, important processes involved, and any one of them is going to, is, is going to be, you know, needs to be complemented with the other. Mm-hmm. Um, now, then, this follows up too, because obviously like, if, if we're going to seek out wisdom, right? So as, you know, let's say as the simple person, we decide to go and seek out wisdom. It demands a second part of that where we need to be teachable as well. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Ryan in the sermon was talking about just, uh, you know, some experiences that he had uh, with mentors, right? He was seeking out uh, mentorship in different areas of his life. Uh, he didn't really just wait for all of that to just fall into his lap. He went out on his own, sought out some mentors and and moreover, he sought out multiple mentors for different, you know, specific areas. And for us, as we read Proverbs, like this is like the ultimate mentorship in so many ways. Like here is wisdom. You know what I mean? You know, we'll learn how to discern this together, but here are the wise ways of going about life. Uh, this is the mentorship that we've often looked at, but, you know, going and seeking it is one part of that. But the second part of this here is now really being teachable enough to actually hear this wisdom, right? Knowledge is one thing, but understanding it is another. So uh, question number seven here, uh, what do you think keeps people from actively seeking out others to mentor them? Um, you know, just a, a quick answer to this. I, I think a lot of times we tend to be in our culture and our society, you know, uh, we tend to be very proud. You know, we don't like people seeing uh, our, you know, the weakest side of ourselves. We don't like being seen as simple. We don't like being seen as uh, without understanding. I think that might be part of it. Um, question number eight, what has mentorship looked like in your own life? Are there any areas now that you feel you could stand to be mentored in? Uh, which is a cool conversation. Get conversation rolling along. Uh, and then go ahead, Doug. Sorry. I, I really like the idea of, uh, of, of seeking out a mentor and not just waiting for someone to come and to fall into your lap. Um, and, uh, perhaps one of the reasons why we're reluctant to do that is because it allows us to place the blame for our own lack of spiritual development at the feet mm-hmm. of others. You know, no one's come to me, no one's approached me or something. Right. And you can't, you can't wait for it. A, a wise person is a person who active, who, who takes an active role in their own spiritual development, including amassing people around them who are, who are good to, um, to, to guide them. You know, just as a as a practical piece of advice too, I'll, I'll add to this because I've had a number of amazing mentors in my life. Um, I've been blessed with that, and I've always, you know, I, I've learned this in my life, especially in my my um, career, my experience as a pastor. I've sought out other pastors that have gone before me in in similar roles as mine, with you know, small groups at different churches and so on and so forth. And one of the things that I would just advise anyone who's seeking a mentor out is, you know it's good that you're proactive, you know, go be proactive to seek out a mentor, but also have something else to give. You know what I mean? A lot of times we can seek out a mentor and it's like, Doug, I'd love for you to mentor me every morning at five o'clock in the morning. Let's, you know, let's pray for two hours and then read our Bible for another hour. It's like, let me ask you for so much of your life that you make sacrifices for me so that I can grow in my understanding. You know what I mean? Have something else that you can offer, you know, as far as a mentorship goes, you know, just using the example I just gave, if I'm seeking out Doug, for instance, you know, at one point we were learning uh, Greek together, ancient Greek, you know what I mean? And like, that's something that I get to grow from. And, and Doug, for you, you were saying that was uh, a good exercise for you to be able to continue practicing and practice 
you know, teaching as well uh, with the opportunities that we have. And we did that at a time that was convenient for everybody and didn't really hinder us from, um, you know, from doing our other work, you know, during a lunch study or something else like that, which was really cool. Mm. But all I'm saying here is that when you do seek out a mentor, let it be, you know, a type of relationship where both parties really benefit. You know what I mean? Don't always just be the one who's coming and asking and asking and asking. Just a, a practical piece of advice for you. So let's jump into uh, Proverbs 26 verses four and five. Question number nine says, this passage reminds us that it is discernment or understanding that is needed in order to skillfully use wisdom. And so how do we grow in this type of discernment? Doug, you want to answer that one for us? Yeah. Because um, I don't have Proverbs 26 in front of me. <laughs> well, this is, this is that classic one that's, that's used as that illustration for the idea that it takes wisdom. Oh, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I'll just read it real quick. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And verse five then says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So this was the example that Ryan gave in the sermon as well. You know, we've got two verses right next to each other that almost seem like they're competing. Both are very wise, but in order to really apply it well, it demands that we have some understanding, some discernment. I think they purposely say the opposite thing. Right. You know, like there's, there's the, there's a purposefulness to their, to their placement. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I think really the way that you, um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to grow in it, but the, the short answer I think is, is the, the constant practice, the constant use, the use of the muscle of discernment. Uh, Hebrews 5.14 says, that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, right? So it's, it's the use of thinking biblically about things, uh, revisiting your assumptions, uh, thinking, rethinking things. Um, it's, uh, the same kind of thing that, that you have in Romans 12, when things start to get really practical in Romans and he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. It's by, it's by testing and the reapplication of scripture and things. And so, you know, I, I, it's the, the way that I think of it is, is that, you know, you take something in and then you allow it, you allow that thought or that insight to, to interact with other insights that you have from just steeping in God's word and God's world for a while. And so um, one passage that comes to mind when, you're, when we're talking about, a bit about these verses in Proverbs here is what Jesus says about not casting your pearls before swine. Mm. And so if I want to say, you know, what's, what's one way that I know that I might be becoming like a fool myself in answering them according to their folly. Well, I, I know Jesus tells me to be careful that the, you know, Pete there, that there's a, there's a, a certain kind of, um, of, of, uh, attempt to reach someone with the news of Christ or, or, or biblical truth that is ultimately a waste of time where you end up doing nothing but dragging God's word through the mud because mm-hmm. this person just has no interest in, and, and you might not exactly know whether or not you're dealing with that. So it might take a while to realize, Oh, maybe I need to stop answering them according to their folly 
because I've been doing it enough and I haven't been getting anywhere with it. And, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's just bringing a lot of, a lot of different things, uh, to bear. Um, on the other hand, uh, there are plenty of examples in scripture where you just have your mind, your mind trained by them to think that, um, that sometimes you you do want to talk to people on their own terms. So I think of some of the arguments that that Jesus will use um, when he kind of employs uh, the logic of the Pharisees in order to to turn what they're saying on their heads. You get an interesting one in John, right, where he says, um, you know, I've done many good deeds. For which of these do you want to stone me? And they say, not for any good deed, but because you, a man, make yourself out to be God. You're blaspheming. And Jesus says, well, haven't you read in scriptures, uh, I said you are gods. Uh, if he called them gods to whom the word of God, uh, what, how does it go, was spoken, do you now say to him whom the father uh, sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said you are the sons of God. <laughs> now mm-hmm. that's a, that's a loaded argument and it would take a right. while to unpack there, but essentially Jesus is saying, well, Hey, we're all into the Psalms here. Um, and in the, the Psalms don't have any pro- problem calling the ones to whom the word of God is being spoken. God's little G gods. Mm. So, <laughs> so what's the problem? And essentially what he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to think. Right now, what he's doing, he could have just said, "No, you guys don't have any interest in ta- in 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 reforming your lives or or following me or repenting from your sin." So, just I'm not even going to answer you. But instead, he says, "You know, let's let's let me let me get you to think a little bit." And it takes wisdom to know when you're doing that, and when you're you've reached the point where, you know, he's standing before Caiaphas, "Are you the Son of God?" And all he's got to say is you say that I am, mm. you know? Um, so just Pontius Pilate, right? Um, I, I believe he was that Caiaphas that, that asked him that. Yeah. And then, well, and then Caiaphas says, and, and uh, well, then Jesus, and then Jesus adds, you will see the sun coming on the clouds of heaven. Yeah. And before, mm. before Pontius Pilate, he's almost completely silent. Right. Yeah. 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 Like a sheep before his bearers. Right. Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on the gospel account, different ones emphasize different parts of the conversation, but yeah. Sure. Um, you know, we go through Matthew. It's crazy. Cause like we spent so much time going through Matthew and then all at once, it seems like, you know, the crucifixion, the last supper, the resurrection, it just flies by. It's like Matthew accelerates so quickly, uh, which is kind of cool that we saw as we studied through, uh, Matthew, but anyway, uh, turning back to the point here at hand, you know, let's talk about this third section here, which is really ultimate wisdom, uh, how we've labeled it. And, uh, we write here, sometimes wisdom can have a very secular flavor to it. You know, after all, it's kind of closely related to common sense. You know, don't be lazy. Don't be arrogant. Plan for tomorrow. But as we see in these passages, biblical wisdom goes far deeper than this, grounding all wisdom in the fear of God. And so, Doug, you've offered us a couple verses here that really help uh, enunciate this point. Um, three of those being Proverbs 1-7, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, and then Proverbs 9, verse 10. So our 10th question here. What are some ways in which grouping all of wisdom in the fear of God actually impacts how we determine what is wise and foolish? So this question 10 kind of goes back to the other ones, right? Where we ask, you know, how would you describe wisdom? How would you describe foolishness? And this is the one that's going to answer that a little bit, right? You know, why is it so important that we group all wisdom in the fear of God? Because, because fearing God at times, and Ryan did mention this in the sermon, 
is going to make you do some things that common sense in a godless world would not have you do, right? right? So obvious examples would be use of time and treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? And, and, and uh, um, so, so understand, and, and um, you know, you could even think of the way that the, the marriage is conceived today, right? Where, mm. um, you know, modern wisdom would basically be like, if you're not, uh, if you're not happy, right? happy and well, and get, yeah. And, and if you don't feel like your needs are being met, then, then, then abandon ship. Whereas biblical knowledge wisdom says, you know, stick in it. This is teaching you how to love someone who's who's loving you imperfectly, or maybe not even loving you at all. This is teaching you to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are other things to take into consideration as well to balance that out. But in general, you know, those are those are important things. Uh, uh, it's common sense says love those who love you, love your neighbor even. But as far as your enemies, like you should hate them and and seek and and seek to see them and you know uh uh receive misery right but jesus says love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you um Mm. you know and paul Paul says very much the same thing so um those are great examples i love i love the one for marriage right because like the society today says you know just basically be in a marriage so long as you're happy you know, understanding even that happiness itself is a moving target. And as soon as you're not happy anymore, as soon as it feels like you have to start making sacrifices, go and move on mm-hmm. as opposed to the Bible, which, you know, God being the author of marriage, you know, the Bible is basically saying that even in the midst of sacrifice, even in the midst of the hardest seasons of marriage, you'll find true joy there. You know what I mean? And yeah. look to the Lord and like, for anybody that's been in a God-centered marriage, right? A Jesus-centered marriage where the gospel's at the heart of that, like a lot of times navigating the most difficult seasons actually builds trust, builds love, builds intimacy, which only God can do, which is absolutely yep. amazing. The other one that you offered too, Doug, was uh, that for uh, time and, and treasure, so to speak, right? So even giving, right? Giving to the church, giving to the mission, giving to the work, you know, by the world's common standard, it's it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Take what money you have, use it on yourself, or just focus on your own interests. Whereas for the Christ follower, it's like, no, 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 no. I give of my first fruits to see this gospel, which has raised me to life, which has done a far, it has brought me a far bigger treasure in my life than any amount of money could ever afford yeah. to, to see that work go forward, right? Which is, it's really very cool. And there's there's a couple other, you know, the, the examples can be multiplied of this sort of thing. Mm. Um, the Christian view of suffering, right? That That it's not, find the way to get out of it as soon as possible necessarily. Mm. Right. But rather the idea that we can rejoice in our sufferings and that it it, it conforms us to the image of Christ. They conform us to the image of Christ. Um, uh, Another good example is worldly wisdom. Like let's say you set yourself to learning. Right. Mm. And now one of the weird things about Christian learning and I learned this in 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 Bible school and seminary right is that a big chunk a, a chunk of every day is taken reading the book the same book over and over again <laughs> right <laughs> whereas worldly learning would say oh you read the bible okay now get on with it you know we but yeah. but but I learn in scripture so that that 
that the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on that all day long is like a tree planted by streams of water. And so I'm going to keep doing that. And I'm going to keep devoting time every day to reading stuff that I've already read because I know that the Lord is growing me through that. Hmm. And the better that, the more that I can know this one thing, the better off I am going to be in my walk with, with, with God. Hmm. Um, and so ultimately a lot of this boils down to the idea that, um, that in God's world where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Hmm. um, uh, what it means to flourish is different than in a world where the fear of God does not come into play. Mm. Well said, Doug. Um, with the last couple minutes that we have here uh, in the podcast, I want to ask you this last question that we have. So uh, we're instructing our folks to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. And it says, consider the way Paul here speaks of wisdom and foolishness. And obviously by now, it should be obvious that wisdom, especially for Bible-saturated Jewish man like Paul, is a very loaded term. There's no way that Paul can use these words like wisdom and foolishness without thinking about Proverbs. So question number 11, what do you think Paul means here by portraying the gospel as God's wisdom? Mm. Cool question. Yeah. And this is something where I think you guys can maybe play with it a lot. You know, there's... There's, there's probably there, well, like a lot of the other questions on this, uh, in the study guide, there are a lot of different answers to this. Um, and, uh, it, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, I think, couple, couple observations. So first off, um, there is an acknowledgement here in the first chapters of Corinthians that there are different types of wisdom. So you have in, in chapter one, verse, verse 20, um, you you have the wisdom of the world. You have in verse twenty two the wisdom that Greeks seek, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but then you have uh, the gospel presented, uh, for example, in verse twenty four as the power of God and the wisdom of God, and in a sense that it shames the wise. Uh, it shames. Uh, it, it exalts the weak in the world uh, to shame the strong. Uh, it shows that God cho- chooses what is despised and things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Um, and this idea that um, that the wisdom of God, the, the things that truly matter and the things that we should truly be devoting ourselves and our time to are revealed in the gospel, that there is a God who loves us and that there is a need that humanity has that all the wisdom in the world will not discern. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so really, I, I think that, that one of the big things that Paul means here by calling it wisdom is saying that, that the real thing to understand about the world is that there is a need that the gospel meets. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you don't see that, then you are not biblically wise. You you are not you are not um, uh, street smart to the way that the world actually is. There's something incredibly important that you're just not seeing. Um, mm. and there and there are other angles that Paul approaches that from here. Like for example, the need of God to really open up our eyes to that and all that. But yeah, I think I think um, keep in mind that we, another 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 interesting so 
Another interesting way to think of wisdom, and I, I just mentioned the the concept of street smarts, mm. right? The idea that, you know, I'm not new around here. I know how things are, you know, mm. just knowing how things are. Uh, that's an interesting biblical concept. It's the same kind of idea. I'm thinking the idea of like cunning, um, the idea of being shrewd. Mm. Um, there in Proverbs, cunning is a good thing to have because you know what the world is like. And so you can navigate it wisely and you're not going to be ensnared by things that simple people don't see. And that's kind of what you want. Um, interestingly, in Genesis, the serpent is introduced by that very same word, cunning. Mm. The serpent so was more can, cunning than any yeah, other creatures. He's the street smart one. You've got these, you've got these naive human beings, right? Mm. These simpletons. And he comes in and says, did God really say he's had this conversation before they have not, you know what I mean? And, Mm. but, but that's, that's the idea that I think, I think, you know, really lurks behind wisdom is that you just, you know what the world is like. Mm. And if you don't grasp the gospel or the need that the gospel is meant to meet, uh, you are blinded in a very important way to what the world is really like. I love the way that Paul puts this here too. You know what I mean? Cause he's really giving us the, the truest, you know, definition for wisdom and foolishness because the very things that, you know, are wise uh, from God, he says are foolishness to the rest of the world. You know what I mean? So in, in so many words, he's saying that without the gospel, without a relationship to Jesus, without understanding, you know, what the gospel has done for us and, and seeing things, you know, from the Lord's perspective, we can't understand wisdom. We look at it and it's, it's just foolishness to us because we, we exist, I guess, in the, the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of the age, so to speak, uh, which is really cool. And so all of this really comes down to the end point where, you know, wisdom is from the Lord. You know, God gives us wisdom. And this book of Proverbs really challenges us in that with many, many pieces of wisdom that we can use in life every day if we have the discernment, the understanding to actually put those things uh, into practice. But ultimately, all wisdom is grounded in the truth of the gospel, uh, which enlightens all all of their wisdom. So Doug, thank you so much, man. Always good to be with you, buddy. Love, love getting together with you every Monday. Yeah. I look, I look forward to the day when I can smell your cologne once again, Alex. <laughs> I look forward to the day when I can smell your feet from under the table. <laughs> That's right. That's A little right. piece of uh, just behind the scenes info. Doug refuses to record podcasts with his shoes on. Yeah. I, I don't do much <laughs> in the office with my shoes on. No, you don't. We actually bought Doug a pair of slippers, but that's for another time. Uh, Hopefully this uh, this has been fun and encouraging for you guys. Hopefully uh, it's helpful as you go to lead communities in and every week. Thank you guys so much for leading uh, consistently and continually, especially right now in the midst of the quarantine. We are very much praying for uh, the light at the end of the tunnel here where we would be able to gather together again uh, in person. But until that time, thank you and may God bless you guys as you continue leading us toward Jesus.